welcome to another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me. I just read a few minutes ago, really, that there has been an uptick of people calling therapists for appointments during this last 10 months. Take no surprise. I mean, I awake like everyone else each day now to the drumbeat of human violence, real and psychic. It doesn't really matter anymore what side you are on politically, whether or not you believe your side has all the merit. Most of us have no control over what happens in our, quote, side of matters. We are all rather subjugated to those who are in power, who, we know, don't always have the best interests of the citizenry at heart, despite their words. The words of those who may now represent me or you are far more terrifying often than those of the ones they accuse of being power-hungry. For the first time in my life, and I have, as you have, been through some terrible events in history, which puts me in mind of a Billy Joel song, We Didn't Start the Fire, I am truly afraid to be an American. Human nature, with its inclination toward evil, is demonstrating the depths of his cruelty, while many see nothing at all untoward. It's almost futile to lament. Don't you see it? Among the people who do not see the fullness of the destruction are those we love and respect, which only makes the feeling of futility more profound. I find myself having two responses. Well, three, if you count anger at the illogic of societal self-destruction, the desire to run, as someone else described her feeling to be, and or the desire to return to my bed, out of which I had just gotten up, when I began writing the notes for this episode of the podcast, I find myself wanting to sleep through the entirety of unfolding events, peaceful, sort of, except for my dreams, which happily I don't have many of, in unconsciousness. As I had been writing these notes, as I said, that was the most compelling feeling. I just want to go back to bed and shut it all down. That's what happened this past Tuesday, it being Friday as I'm recording. I just felt it was too much, and all I could think was not another day of this. And so the bed did indeed beckon. There's no place to go, and, and as in California where I live, the leaders are talking about an even more draconian lockdown because of the uptick in coronavirus cases, although lockdown clearly has not achieved the desired result. To say that it's because some people haven't abided by restrictions doesn't really solve the problem because the question then becomes whether you can ask people to literally stop living. Okay enough of my pontification about why I think it's not working. All I know is that here I am, here you are, mostly locked in while everything around us seems to be crumbling. I read one book to distract me by Gabriel Byrne, the actor, just published, so beautifully composed and lyrical in its language, describing 
everything around him from childhood to now, but disaffected from Catholicism. I can't blame him, having read the experiences he had. Very typical, unfortunately, of many who were harmed by those who should have been protecting children, the Catholic priest, especially at a time when they were the law, if you will. They were put on a pedestal as being perfect. Of course, that was an illusion and a mistake for human beings to think that of other human beings, but there you are, and too many people were injured. Still, I wish he'd come back to the faith. Somehow or another, the complexity of the man, his clearly spiritual, poetic nature, made me wish that he would take another look at the faith he felt he needed to abandon all those years ago. I also read the rest of the first volume of The Diaries, I love diaries, by an Australian woman I'd never heard of, Helen Garner, and I found I really kind of enjoyed her lean observations about her life. I appreciated both her and Mr. Burns' willingness to expose their insecurities. Somehow that always helps the rest of us, who also have enormous insecurities, reminding us, as Harry Stack Sullivan said, that we are all more human than otherwise. I've talked with a few people on the phone. I've watched old-time television and new documentaries. I've prayed in my usual distracted way. But the shutting down of my mind feels almost a necessity in the deepest dark of depression over that abundance of events over which I have not a whit of control and over people who are in control of our very existence. I admit it. I did, on Tuesday, go back to my bed. One of my cats sat on top of me, and I was dozing off. And then the leaf blower guy began his work, so much for shutting out the world. The leaf blower was being wielded as usual on a weekday to clear away the leaves on artificial patches of turf, still falling this late in the season from the nearly barren annual outside my window. It was just as well probably providential, an intervention that kept me from falling into the sin of acedia. It's an old theme, something hard perhaps to distinguish from ordinary old depression, which I've had too. I am not sure this makes sense, but depression is something more, I know this is going to sound crazy, passionate, more alive than acedia in my view. Depression is a kind of I want to care about life, but I seem not to be able to do so. Acedia is a, I don't really care about life. A full on giving up. Why would that be a sin? Because it tells God that I'm rejecting any plan he has for me. That's how I see it anyway. I have in this fall into sin, a willingness to make no effort. A kind of, yeah, yeah, Lord, go on without me. I'm not traveling this road with you, no matter what the promise of glory you offer to me. Nope, nope, not going to do that. Not going to do that. I am happy to report that on this occasion, and perhaps heeding the whisper of God's voice, I did not fall back into my bed again, once the leaf blower had disrupted me. As I sit here rambling into this microphone, I can't remember what exactly I did for the rest of that day. Oh, perhaps I did finish that Gabriel Byrne book, 
or started another book, or perhaps one thing I surely do remember, I kept thinking of the first line of a poem by William Wordsworth. The world is too much with us. I hadn't read the poem in a long time, and I didn't really remember its denouement, but I was hoping it would provide some kind of balm for my psychic wound. Not a very big wound, perhaps, but building on small wound after small wound after ten months. I think maybe it's a communal wound, not only of the loss of people around us, but the absolute and utter shift in the nature of our lives, our ordinary lives. So you know what I'm talking about. Here's the poem. It's by William Wordsworth. The world is too much with us, late and soon, getting and spending. We lay waste our powers. Little we see in nature that is ours. We have given our hearts away a sordid boon. This sea that bears her bosom to the moon, the winds that will be howling at all hours and are upgathered now like sleeping flowers. For this, for everything, we are out of tune. It moves us not. Great God, I'd rather be a pagan suckled in a creed outworn. So might I, standing on this pleasant lea, have glimpses that would make me less forlorn. Have sight of Proteus rising from the sea, or hear old Triton blow his wreathed horn. The poem, beautiful as it is, didn't quite go to where I needed it to to address my sense of loss and deep discouragement emotionally, psychologically. I don't know what Wordsworth, born in the late 18th century and writing mostly in the 19th, could possibly imagine the strange techno-inspired world and the unenlightened trend toward the full imprisonment of the human mind as he lamented the industrial revolution that took man away from the beauty of the natural world. He looked for rescue in that natural world, much, I guess, like his contemporary, Henry David Thoreau, who retreated to Walden Pond. Thoreau is known as someone spiritual. He was called a transcendentalist, which suggests a reliance on God, but his God was, like Wordsworth, primarily contained in nature where God, of course, is, but less did they see him, at least in the poem and in terms of Thoreau's transcendentalism, as a separate person. For them, he was God in nature rather than God who is outside of time, place, and creator of nature. Thoreau's the one that used the phrase, most men live lives of quiet desperation, and who for two years went to that pond and lived with nature to have the simple life. What occurred to me as I remember that particular quote is my profound feeling that today it is not merely that men and women have been leading lives of quiet desperation, but that the desperation is thrust upon us by our fellow men in a way that was predicted by science fiction, but is now at complete fruition Alas, nature can take us only so far to the extent we can get out into it. Some people can, depending on where they live. It's harder to do in a city like Los Angeles. On the days that I didn't have essential errands to run, 
I was able to sit outside. It's been very warm in Los Angeles this last few days. And so that helped me avoid the further temptation to acedia. The sound, the loud sound of a flock of geese was surprisingly comforting. Normally they're quite irritating, but it was really comforting to see them cavorting in the palm trees. But as usual, as I'm always saying in these podcasts, I needed some better perspective. A friend brought to my attention a tweet from actress Patricia Heaton on January 8th. She's someone whom I admire for her rather brave pro-life public stance. So I tend to stop and listen to some of the things that she says and now here was writing. And what she said was, if you're a common sense person, you probably don't feel you have a home in this world right now. If you're a Christian, you know you were never meant to. She brought up the supernatural reality, the one we talk about every week in this podcast, but the one that I lose the thread of, and I guess I'm not the only one. I assume I'm not the only one. I lose the thread of it in the midst of the little crises of my own little life and the large crashing crises around me. The naturalist, if you will, is confined to this world, even when he speaks pantheistically of a god contained in nature. Apparently, there were those who accused Miss Heaton of escapism by her referral to a world outside of nature, of God outside of nature, because he is the author of it. I assume it was thought that she was advocating a fantasy feel-good by referring to a place of light and fluffy clouds and a bearded being who protects us all from any kind of harm in this life. He does protect us, but not in the way that we demand. Referring to and understanding that we have a home with the God of eternity is not slightly escapist. Knowing that there is a better place, trusting that there is, does not eliminate the pain. It makes the pain exquisite. One definition of exquisite is, of course, intense, but other definitions talk about beauty and depth, perfection itself. The pain of Christ was horrible, despicable, but it also was exquisite because of who he was and because of what he did and what he achieved for us. I realize I keep coming back to this theme, suffering, pain, offering it up, but given what's happening in the world, what's happening in the nation, what perhaps has always happened for human beings, it can't be escaped. And looking to the other world doesn't provide escape. Pain and suffering are a condition precedent, a threshold, as crucifixion was for Christ, who goes before us. We are very much part of the world in which we find ourselves. But you know that nature, that Walden's Thoreau and Wordsworth escaped to, that place they escaped to, that is the foretaste of the eternity which is no longer escape but reality. We are not meant to be at home here because we have come to realize that there is so much better what was originally intended before we told God we didn't need him and that we could do it all ourselves.
right now we're seeing the result of our doing it all ourselves. We're dissatisfied, we're unhappy, because we feel in the depths of our being that this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Theology takes that intuition and intellectualizes it, articulates it. What Miss Heaton tweeted has been clearly outlined long ago and continues to be outlined by the great philosophers and thinkers of faith. Here's something from between 100 and 200 AD from an anonymous letter that is in a book of the church fathers to someone called Diogenitus, a pagan. The difference between Christians and the rest of men is neither in country, nor in language, nor in customs. They dwell in their own fatherlands, but as temporary inhabitants. They take part in all things as citizens while enduring the hardships of foreigners. Every foreign place is their fatherland, and every fatherland is to them a foreign place. Like all others, they marry and beget children, but they do not expose their offspring. Their board they set for all, but not their bed. Their lot is cast in the flesh, but they do not live for the flesh. They pass their time on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws, and in their private lives they surpass the laws. They love all men, and by all they are persecuted. They are unknown, and they are condemned. They are put to death, and they gain life. They are poor, but they make many rich. They are destitute, but have an abundance of everything. They are dishonored, and in their dishonor they are made glorious. They are defamed, but they are vindicated. They are reviled, and they bless. They are insulted, and they pay homage. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers, and when they are punished, they rejoice as if brought to life. They are made war upon as foreigners, and they are persecuted, and yet those who hate them are at a loss to state the cause of their hostility. Boy, does that not seem timely, something written in the second century. For Christians, to what we are experiencing in this, the 21st century, the marketplace of ideas is being narrowed with Procrucian delight to make our ideas one with the halls of power. It seems that those in power, while professing care for us, act without any concern for our care and seem to be literally or figuratively happily disposing of anyone who does not agree with the direction that the nation and the world is taking. It takes courage, I'm thinking, a courage I find hard to tap into, not on dependence on escape, to stand, as many have done, before an executioner with a sword about to be thrust into one's body as it did the martyrs, to bet on another life with God. Now, we're not at a point yet of martyrdom, but... The signs are there. But here's the miraculous thing about people who are martyred, many of them anyway. There is a paradoxical achievement, a peace in pain, by trusting in that which, unlike nature, cannot be seen except in the most transient of glimpses through it. The peace comes not in escaping the pain, which is inevitable, as I've tried to convince myself and others in these podcasts, but in expecting it, enduring it, passing through it. If I look to other human beings to provide my peace, I am foolish and indulging in futility. 
the tall order. The truth is, weak being that I am, corporeal and limited, I naturally want this world to be my home. It's in this tangible environment that I'm engaging. Knowing there is another world, a better one, actually doesn't always help me in the context of those limitations and the swirling events around me. In the muck of earthly reality, the fact of this other place of peace and true freedom seems out of reach. I'm not like those martyrs. I'm not brave. So after saying it can be achieved, I say, I can't seem to achieve it. This peace in pain, this, I don't want to say blissful, but this abiding recognition that this is not my home and that it was never meant to be. It always seems that I end up with more questions than answers, and even when I propose answers, I can't seem to implement them. So I come to a possible conclusion, because this is not my home, but a place of preparation and cooperation with God in the hope, the promise of my better home. I must not allow myself to fall into that depression or acedia or both. And when I say I must not allow myself, I recognize that I'm going to need a lot of help. I need to be led. It's not an insight of mine to say that this preparatory and prefatory home is, in fact, a battlefield. I've heard, you've heard, some Catholics, some Christians being or becoming soldiers of Christ. From the day we are born and baptized, we become recruits in that battlefield. When I walk around demanding ease and peace of mind in the battle of good versus evil that still has its prize in individual souls, mine and every other living souls, I am denying reality. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, saved humanity by his act of dying on the cross and resurrecting but individual souls, my individual soul, has to join him, the way I see it, in consolidating the victory, in joining him in the victory. The spoils in this war is the achievement of heaven. The salvation of my soul and the souls of the people I love and the people known and unknown to me. Boy, this week I needed the ammunition. By Thursday... Except for a brief bit of volunteer work at my church on Monday, I had been indoors trying to avoid the bombardment of ever-increasing bad news for three days. I was on the edge of another manifestation of acedia. I won't tell you what time I got out of bed on Thursday and how much I longed again to return to it to cut off the world despite my comprehension of the very things, the very reasons that I'm talking about here, not to concede to it. Then I saw a message from my pastor. We are fortunate at my parish to have weekday masses at 8.30 inside the church when there are fewer people, and during Sundays to have three masses at 8.30, 10.30, and 12.30. But there are still those who are at home and would love to have mass from our parish and the pastor records a mass to be on our website for those who would like to watch it and have the sense of being with the rest of the parishioners at the parish to which they belong. 
he needed a lector that afternoon. Believe it or not, my mood was such that I nearly thought to actually decline. But then I realized that God was offering me that spiritual ammunition that I desperately needed. I needed to be in God's presence before the tabernacle. I needed the Mass. I needed the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. I needed his strength. I got there early while the video equipment was being set up. I had the time to sit in the sanctuary pew and regard the full measure of our San Damiano cross above the tabernacle containing our Lord, past, present, and future. And I sought imperfectly indeed to absorb his presence. The music director was practicing the hymns of the service. One in particular made me smile at God's small but critical intervention with me that day, this week. I don't like a lot of modern-day hymns. I tend to like the old liturgical hymns. But this one has always touched me, written in, I guess, the year 1979 by someone named Dan Schutte. It's called, Here I Am, Lord. Here are the words to the refrain that I found myself beginning to hum. Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you lead me. So instead of being in bed, trying to run away from life and its difficulties, I was at Mass, renewing my commitment to be a soldier in his army and to let him lead me. Will I fall back again? Yeah, I will, because that is what sin is, venial and mortal. But I don't know about you, I want that home he promises if I respond to his call. Well, so ends another episode of Ordinary Old Catholic Me, which I hope you enjoyed. I don't know if enjoyment is quite the right word, but that you found useful in your struggles. That's part of the reason for this program, because I think we're all struggling with much the same things. Anyway, if you're liking the show, do go to podbean.com and make this episode, or make the entire website, a favorite. That would make me very happy. Next week, I'm hoping to have another Zoom interview, so stay tuned. <laughs>